This podcast contains themes of substance use and risk-taking behaviour. Listener discretion is advised. You've probably smelt it before walking down the street or at a party on a hot summer's day. People use it when they're chilling out, usually, with some mates or by themselves. It's a substance with a complex relationship with societies and a fascinating tale. We're going to talk about marijuana. That Welcome back to That Alcohol and Drug Podcast. I'm Reese, the host and creator. This episode, we are going to talk about marijuana. A range of experts will inform you about its effects on the brain and body. They'll also tell you how marijuana dependencies can affect families and children. You'll hear from Catherine, who will give her experience with marijuana from a mother's perspective. But first, as always, as it is tradition, you will hear some history of marijuana where it started, and where it is now in the modern day. It is thought that the first usage of marijuana dates back to 8000 BC. The cannabis plant was often used for food, in medicines, for fibre and rope, and also for religious and recreational use due to its psychoactive effects when consumed. In fact, it is thought that the hemp plant, a sister plant to cannabis, was one of the earliest plants to be cultivated, which means it was purposely planted and harvested for mass use. Cannabis is indigenous to Central Asia and the Indian subcontinent, and it can be found scattered in archaeological sites all across Asia. It is thought it was often used in arts and ceremonies, both for its fibre for fabric and used in food and drink. Fun fact, the word ganja, which is another word for hemp, comes from the language of Sanskrit, which has its origins in South Asia. We'll go over some more names for marijuana in a minute. By the turn of the millennium, cannabis was spread all across the world. It was being used in places like Iraq and Egypt, introduced to the African continent at around 13,000 BC, and then over to the Americas when the Spaniards were there in the 1400s. Restrictions around its use start from around this time as well. These restrictions vary from place to place, but they often stem from fear around its psychoactive effects on people, as a way to control the hemp industry and favour other materials such as artificial fibres, and as a way to oppress minority cultures in Western societies. The modern era has seen a rise in relaxed drug laws around the world, with many countries decriminalising marijuana at the turn of the 21st century. In the mid-20th century, marijuana was embraced in the club and youth scene and was heavily associated with jazz musicians in America and in the East End theatres in England. It was seen as a counterculture expression and embraced for its psychoactive properties. It made its way into mainstream Western culture by the 60s with popular music leading the charge. Today, it can be seen in movies, medicine and music, being particularly glamorized in rap and R&B music. Although it is still illegal, the public discourse in the UK has been slowly shifting throughout the 21st century, with marijuana being the most used illicit substance. Now, back to those names. Weed, grass, ganja, as mentioned above, bud, skunk, pot, dope. Marijuana takes many different forms depending on which culture you come from. With many different uses and ways of consuming it, marijuana has a diverse and complex relationship with modern Western societies. So there we go. Many different names and many different uses. We're now going to hear from our first professional who will tell you about marijuana. 
Colin is the regional trainer for London and South, and he works for Humankind. Colin has worked in frontline drug and alcohol services for more than 13 years and has plenty of experience with people who have used cannabis. I hope you find our chat interesting and learn something. So, Colin, thanks for coming on to the Alcohol and Drug Podcast. This will be the marijuana or cannabis episode. Thank you, Riz. So, I guess we'll just crack in. Would you be able to tell us about marijuana, um, what it is, and maybe some differences between different strains or stuff like that? Yes, um, certainly, Riz. Cannabis or marijuana, the names are interchangeable. Cannabis is a flowering herb. Mm. Uh, It occurs naturally in... Uh, warmer climates, but the types we mostly see, or the people listening to this podcast was most mostly see, are, are widely cult- cultivated for recreational use. Mm. So it comes from the plant cannabis sativa, or there's another version uh, called cannabis indica yeah. as well, and another version called cannabis ruderalis. Right. And those are interbred and crossbred to get the recreational cannabis that people will be familiar with in different forms yeah so often the flower buds uh, and leaves are dried and this is often called weed or the strong stronger buds are called skunk yeah and these are most commonly smoked uh, either from a spliff which is a cannabis cigarette if you like yeah or uh, they can be smoked from a pipe or a bong um, and these are the most common methods of use. Right. The cannabis plant also produces uh, a resin, which can be collected and molded into blocks. Mm. Uh, and these blocks are often called hash or hashish. And this can also be smoked. So is is the resin often stronger? It it can be yes, because it's uh, it's basically concentrated cannabinoids. Right. Um, with it uh, within that as well, but the the flower buds can also be very strong indeed um, with some strains as well. Right. There is another form as well where chemical and heat processes can also be used to extract concentrated cannabis oil or wax. Right. Okay. And this is these are very strong versions. Usually cannabis is smoked. It can be vaped. Yeah. Sometimes people use cannabis to make cakes or cookies, which can be eaten as yeah. well. Yeah. Edibles. Yeah. The edibles as well. So lots of different ways to kind of use cannabis and um, and also, as I touched on before, in different cultures kind of use it in different ways as well, which is really interesting, actually. It is central um, to some cultures, certainly in the Caribbean. It is uh, quite commonly culturally used as well. Mm. It's In the UK, it's quite widespread, uh, the people using it. It's about the most common uh, illicit drug used by uh, young people mm. at the moment. Um, we often get a lot of questions about the difference between THC and CBD. Would you be able to just go over that for us? Yes. The main active components of cannabis or marijuana are called cannabinoids. Okay. And the cannabis plant has up to a, about 100 different cannabinoids within it. Yeah. They're not all psychoactive. They don't all affect us. But two of the main ones that we discuss is one called delta 9 tetrahydrocannabinol which is usually known as THC. Yeah. And this is responsible for the psychoactive effects or most of the psychoactive uh, effects. And so, when when you say psychoactive that's the kind of things that that make you feel something, right? In your brain and yes, your body. Yes, the things that make you feel something. Yeah. So psychoactive effects are what makes you high yeah. basically. Yeah. It's what gets 
people talk about being stoned. Yeah. That is that is the psychoactive effect. So people can get feel relaxed, giggly, talkative. Uh, they're the sort of more positive effects that people look for from it and will sometimes experience heightened senses of colour, taste, listening to music can um, be more enjoyable for some people. But it can leave people feeling very tired and lacking in energy and lethargic as well. Mm. The other cannabinoid you mentioned is one called cannabidiol Mm -hmm. or CBD. This has more effect on the peripheral nervous system so not it's not so psychoactive right it more interacts with the um immune system yeah. the digestive system yeah. and it's, it's it's more the body part of things right and it can affect sleep patterns muscle growth appetite mm. we have a natural cannabinoid system our endocannabinoid uh, system and that's everywhere in the body, right. basically. It's in the brain and spinal column and also in the peripheral nervous system. Mm. So basically, cannabis can affect almost any system in the body wow. in some way, interact. There you go. So, Colin, is is it possible for someone to form a dependency on cannabis or marijuana? And and if it is, what, are, what would be the positive effects, like why people use it and what are the negative effects? Okay. Um, yes, it is possible for people to form a dependency. And uh, people do form Mm -hmm. particularly a psychological dependency on cannabis. The positive effects can be that people just feel very relaxed. Mm -hmm. They can feel calm. They can feel more sociable, Mm -hmm. giggly, talkative with that. For some people, it enhances their creativity. um, Some people talk about and heightens their senses uh, around music. Yeah. Uh, listening to music can be more enjoyable. People report having their sense of taste increased as well, so yeah. enjoying food more. And just seeing the world around them, The it can affect colours, mm. etc. Mm. Um, as well. It is Cannabis can be mildly hallucinogenic, yeah. so things impact on that. The negative effects, uh, however, that some people uh, experience, it can leave people feeling very tired, mm. um, lacking in energy, lacking in motivation. Yeah. They can become quite closed down, uh, sort of quite the opposite of what I was talking about with the positives. Yeah. They can you know, not want to interact with other people. Some people report that it can increase anxiety, mm. um, particularly if you're feeling anxious before you start using. It can actually amplify mm. that, that yeah. feeling. So people talk about anxiety, depression for some people. Some people can experience panic, uh, panic Mm. attacks and paranoia. One of the effects that cannabis can also have uh, short term is it can cause um, a sharp decrease in blood pressure. Mm. And when blood pressure drops, your pulse rate goes very high. Basically, the the blood drops out of your head and goes down to your feet. So Mm. people can feel faint. Sometimes people can actually faint mm-hmm. um, and feel quite sick. This is sometimes called a whitey because mm. um, it makes you go very pale mm. um, and that can be distressing for some people. Mm. And then often uh, people have mixes, so they all mix tobacco with cannabis. And if you're not using filters when you smoke a joint or you use a bong, yeah. you can inhale a lot, of, a lot of those harmful chemicals that often the filters might take out if you smoke a cigarette. 
Yes, uh, absolutely. Anything that burns, any smoke mm. that you inhale um, is harmful. Mm. Uh, all smoke is carcinogenic, i.e. it causes cancer. Yeah. Uh, for example, tobacco in itself, the nicotine in tobacco is highly addictive mm. as well. So mixing the two isn't always the best idea. Mm. And also, as you say, you can be inhaling lots of other problematic foreign objects. Mm. Um, sometimes when people use what they call roaches, which is rolled up cardboard mm. to put in the end of a joint, if that's got a coating on it or it's or it's got printing on it, mm. then obviously that's other chemicals going into your lungs. So people should really use, if they're going to use that method, then they should use uncoated, yeah. unprinted. Which you can buy from off licenses and from stores. There's there's specific yes. roaches that are safe. Um, yes, there are safer yeah. roaches. There's no safe way of smoking cannabis, no, unfortunately. No. Um, I suppose one thing worth adding there, particularly with young people, uh, cannabis has been linked to aggravating or triggering some mental health issues. Mm. So particularly in younger users, in some cases there's been reports that it has triggered psychosis as well. Mm. Drug induced psychosis, yeah. Yeah, so there's always there's always risks, isn't there? There yeah, are always Im risks. It's important yes. to know them. But you know, if if yes. you do engage in it, it's important to understand what you are engaging in. So if someone was struggling with their cannabis or marijuana use, Colin, what are some things they could do to kind of manage it or reduce reduce their intake? To reduce their intake and reduce um, some of the harms associated with. I think before using, be aware of your situation mm. and your mood before you start. Because as I said, cannabis can amplify negative feelings such as anxiety. Mm. So if you're already feeling anxious, probably best not to start using. Yeah. Cannabis also interferes with motor functions. So like with alcohol, avoid risky situations like driving, operating machinery, working at height, those sort of things yeah. because you're liable to have accidents if you are using try not to use alone yeah. use with someone that you trust or is not using themselves preferably yeah if you are using regularly try and have a few days off try, mm. try and take breaks to allow your body to recover because you do build tolerance where you need more and more to get the same effect mm. and you're more likely to get more of the negative effects so take a break yeah the dose is more controllable when smoked, but then you've got the smoking-related harms. Yeah. When people eat cannabis, they're less in control of the effects. Mm. So if people eat, it's best to have a small amount and see what the effects are, yeah. because the effects can take an hour or more yeah. uh, to take place, where, where with smoking it's in a very few minutes, so you know what's going on. Yeah. Cannabis can also be vaped as well. You can, uh, mm. you can get the machines and... Uh, vaping is far less harmful uh, than smoking mm. as well. But if you are beginning to have a bad time on it, if you're feeling anxious or paranoid, mm -hmm. get to a calm, quiet place away from other people. Yeah. Those feelings are usually likely to wear off fairly soon. Yeah. So just keep yourself safe. And cannabis does lower blood sugar levels as well. So if you're starting to feel a little bit sick, maybe eating something yeah. sweet. Yeah might be helpful as well. But really, if you're starting to feel like you're having problems with cannabis, yep. that you are feeling that you have a dependence, it's really best to talk to someone about it. Yep. And, uh, you know, accessing services such as Better Lives, yep. where there's people that really know about cannabis, that really know about 
what you're going through. Yeah. And they can help you, whether it's you want to use differently or you want to reduce your use or stop your use, yeah. they can come up with a plan that is individual to you and help you with that. Yeah, definitely. A lot of the work at Humankind and Better Lives involves talking to people. So it's really important that we get one of the service users on to hear their story. You'll hear from a mum who has a son that uses cannabis and you'll hear about her experience at Better Lives and also her experience of managing her son and her own emotions. Hello, Catherine. How are you? Hi, Reese. Yes, I'm fine, thank you. A little bit nervous. That's all right. Um, hopefully the nerves will um, dissipate after a bit. Thanks for coming in and thanks for giving your time to Better Lives to do the podcast. It's my pleasure. First off, we'll just talk about you a little bit, um, in as much as details as you want. Just tell us a bit about yourself and maybe your involvement in Better Lives in, in the past. I've lived in this area for about the last 30 years. My husband and I were both professional people. Initially, I guess we were both um, working in offices and then more recently we've both sort of we're semi-retired now and we tend to homework more. So we're around in the house. Um, we've got a big family. Yeah. Cool. So that's great. So um, you you must be locals then around this area. You must have seen it develop from 30 years ago or so is what you said, 30 years? Yeah, we've seen it change over the years. It's a lovely area to be in. Um, we've always really liked it. It's very well connected. Um, there's a real sense of community here, and we've really enjoyed that. And it's been a, it's been a really nice place, really, for the kids to grow up. Mm. I think they've really they've really enjoyed it here. And did you grow up in this area as well? No, I, I grew up in the Midlands. Um, I came here in my twenties, uh, and my husband did too. So no, we're not uh, we're not London born and bred. Fair enough, but well and truly locals now, that's for sure. Yeah, absolutely. So we are here to talk about a person. And we're here to talk about why you were involved with Better Lives. Would you be able to just go into that a little bit and give us some details around that? Yeah, sure. It's essentially, it's around my son, Frankie. He was kind of always a little bit out of sorts, even when he was very young. It was almost like life was a little bit overwhelming for him. So he was kind of, you know, we had to kind of tread on eggshells around him. Mm. Things were very intense for him. Mm. Um, he saw everything in absolutes. Um, mm. So if I said, this, you couldn't have this, and, oh, you never let me have that, even though, obviously, I did. Mm. And if I, you know, oh, you, he, he would just, if, if he wanted to go for a sleepover, and I said, no, we're, we're going away, he would say, oh, this will never happen again. So he was a very intense character, and mm. he saw everything in a sort of very dramatic um, light. And he always wanted to be older than he was. He was always pushing at boundaries because mm. he was the youngest. So it was always um, things like, you know, the DVDs and the age limits. He, he always wanted to push past those. Mm. He always wanted to, to, to watch films before, um, you know, beyond the age limits. But he was always trying to running, running to catch up with the older ones. You know, that was something that we had to constantly keep an eye on. But he yeah. was just a really lovely, sweet boy. He's very kind. He's very caring. He's very intuitive. It was almost like he could read your mind. Yeah. He really focused on, on, that, on, on reading people. And I kind of think now that's partly... The reason that he did that was to kind of always keep himself safe in his own mind. Mm. He was always one step ahead, ahead of everybody watching the horizons, making sure everything was okay. Mm. And I guess for quite a long, you know, in those early days and beyond, I did used to think about things like ADHD. I kind of danced around that. Mm. And it was always in the back of my mind. But it wasn't, I mean, there was always a slight sort of concern around that. Mm. Did you, did you 
you know, was there really an issue there that you needed to look into? Or was it that it was just a child, um, you know, he was just finding his way and he would settle down and mm. you know, he didn't want to overdo it. And so kind of that's how he went on. And then when he was about 13 or 14, he kind of just went off my radar. Mm. It's like they get to that age, he's a young teenager, and he was doing his own thing. Yeah. And he and I was, you know, happy with that, getting on with, with what I was doing. It's just over that period between like early, you know, 13, 14, and then to the point at 15, he kind of just morphed into a very angry stranger, really. Mm. And he kind of, he sort of just blew up in our faces mm. uh, aged about 15. He'd, he'd become, he'd gone from being a child who I had helped. I had ma helped to manage his interactions with the world. Yeah. And now he was having to interact with the world on his own as a young mm. adolescent around a lot of um, temptation and under, around a lot of challenges. Yeah. And I don't know, I mean, that hadn't worked that well for him. He'd become, he was, he was angry. He was mm. exhausted. He was withdrawn, he was uncommunicative, and he was, um, as I say, he just kind of changed into, uh, gradually, it wasn't like immediate, yeah. but I realised I didn't really, uh, I wasn't really connected to him in the way that I had been when he was little, yeah. and a whole lot of change had gone on for him over that period that had just gone over my head, really. Mm. And I know that sounds a bit crazy now, but that's kind of how it is, you let your kids get on with growing up, with mm. gaining their independence, uh, you know, until, until it just became so obvious that there was a problem. I wasn't really aware that there was one. Mm. If I look back on it and try and work out where did our journey to better lives start, really, um, from that point, he was going to school, um, finding it harder and harder to get up in the mornings. Yeah. Um, so we kind of got into a, a, a rhythm a bit of where I'd say, well, he's, you know, I think they became aware that he seemed to be depressed. So I'd say, mm. well, he's not really up to it. But there was, it was just becoming more and more intense. And then I realised um, one morning, one of his siblings said, well, mum, you know what he's up to. Mm. Uh, and I'd smelt cannabis mm -hmm. in the bathroom. I said, well, what do you mean? And she said, well, that's what he's doing in there. Mm. And I, I realised that that was probably not the first time. And I, I raised it with him on, uh, on the way to school. And he just punched the car window. Mm. And he ran out actually into the traffic. So he was really, really upset. Mm. Um, and... I guess looking back, that was kind of not. I don't know why I raised it that way, but mm. I didn't. I just thought he'd go, oh, mum, you know, whatever. But instead, he saw it as a sort of turning point. And it kind of rapidly unraveled from there. And I think mm. at that point for him, he'd almost been living a double life. Mm. So he was trying, he had become very, very entangled with um, cannabis. Yeah. And also with the whole ADH thing that had been brewing. So he was whole, trying to hold down a life where he had chosen cannabis. As, as his, you know, happy place. Yeah. And uh, against a rather unhappy place of being at school and not really coping with his ADHD mm. and being a teenager and dealing with peer pressure and all the rest of it. That double, and obviously the, you need money as well to, yeah. to buy the cannabis. So there's this whole double life that he was trying to manage where he was trying to be the kid that went to school and yeah. occasionally did his homework at the same time as being a kid who was increasingly dependent on um, cannabis mm. and trying to hide that from his parents. Which is a stressful thing for oh, a totally, teenager to go through, totally, isn't it? I, I really think that. And I think a lot of the difficulties that we had or that he had was, I mean, he's not a child who can hide things very mm. well because, because he's disorganised. And so to have to go to the extra effort to keep everything... Um, hidden from us mm. and to manage it and also if your children when with around cannabis you know they'll they'll 
they can't do it in the house in principle, I mean, mm. certainly if their parents don't know about it. So it's these constant arrangements, you know, something will come up, there's somewhere you can go, the mm -hmm. house has become free. And then it's all the managing that round your parents so that, um, you know, if you suddenly run out of the house, they're wondering, well, what's going on? Mm. You know, my child's acting out. But actually they're going because they've got an arrangement that's that's been fixed up at short notice. Yeah. Um, but it was almost like a, it was like a perfect storm, really. Yeah. Um, it was the, the cannabis and the ADHD which, you know, eventually did get diagnosed. Um, yeah. But there was also, and I think this is really, really important, there was also us and our attitude. Yeah. Um, we were brought up, my husband and I were both brought up in families where drugs were absolutely thought of as petrifying. Mm. There was no question about it that, that um, drugs were terribly dangerous things and yeah. it would lead to disaster and this is what happened to people who did drugs, blah, blah, blah. So, in the, you know, reality is that my husband and I were just, we were very frightened of it. And so we'd always had this kind of zero tolerance, like replicating what our parents um, had, yeah. had felt about drugs. And a general kind of society as well. I think zero tolerance is quite a, you know, Western approach to drugs as well. There is a much more of a social norm around, now around drugs. Mm. Not great if you're a kid aged 15. Mm. Um, and I, I'm not saying it's great for adults either. It certainly wouldn't, it wouldn't be for me. I think one of my messages that I've learned myself is don't dramatise this. It is, mm. it, it's like you had a podcast lo the other week on alcohol yeah. and about how alcohol has been normalised over the centuries. Cannabis obviously isn't legal um, and yeah. it's not been normalised in the same way. Yeah. Um, but I think it is, it's become so prevalent. Mm. I mean, you can smell it on every, any street corner in London, mm -hmm. you know, since I've had to come into its orbit um, mm -hmm. over the past year or so, I'm very, very aware of that. Yeah. And so it, it was basically for us, it was just a toxic mix. And I think, you know, that is one of the things I want to, to say today is that mm. if we had perhaps not catastrophized, not seen it as quite so dramatic, but just quietly helped him to manage it, yeah. then I think his journey and our journey might have been a bit easier. Yeah. Um, but as it was, that uh, I was kind of catapulted into it, and mm. I, it was um, it was pretty catastrophic. Yeah. When you say catastrophic, would you be able to go into into how you kind of reacted to it when you first found out? I'm not someone who shouts. Mm. Um, I was just petrified. Just seeing him, really, I, I mm. discovered that he was self harming. Yeah. Um, he would punch the wall. He would punch, you know, his bed head. Mm. He also did, you know, if there were knives around and he wanted to be dramatic, mm. you know, then he would um, get hold of them and yeah. um, stab things. Um, yeah. Um, and he kind of basically wasn't really in school at all. So mm. his kind of whole thing was imploding. Um, I am, a, I am, I know, an anxious person. Mm -hmm. That's my, that's how I operate. Um, mm -hmm. And I just felt absolutely overwhelmed. Um, mm. I just felt... Like, I mean, my child's got a drugs problem. Mm. At the time, I, I knew it was cannabis. I also knew that he'd um, uh, experimented with pills, yeah. with um, ecstasy, and yeah. with um, Zanac. Yeah. Um, and I think that the big worry that, that we're taught, that I was taught, is that, that cannabis is a gateway drug. Mm. Um, and also that it can cause psychosis and schizophrenia um, at some point if it's overdone. And again... Obviously, I don't know um, how much truth there is in either of those, but when you're suddenly confronted with the fact that your child seems to have a drugs problem, mm. um, to me, that was just an absolute nightmare. Um, I couldn't, I just stopped sleeping, really. Yeah. I lost about a stone and a half in weight. I just couldn't eat because mm. I just, just didn't feel like it because I was just worried. 
And um, when I came here, I saw Alison, and, and who was absolutely fantastic. Mm. And one of the things she sort of said to me quite early on was that I'd become hyper vigilant. Mm. So I was just watching all the time. I was I, like a detective. I went, yeah, I just went. I used to think that if uh, if he if he had a sort of uh, Apache name, it would be he he who was watched by Hawk. Mm. He he couldn't really move without me getting you know getting there and seeing what he was up to. Yeah, when kids are keeping cannabis, well, in my experience, from their parents, mm. they can't do it. it cannabis reeks; it's a mm -hmm. really really strong smell. So they it's very can't hard to hide. just secretly. It's hard to do it secretly. I mean, yeah. you're always. But what they, t I, f I found that they he'd stay up in the night. So mm. then, of course, he'd be waiting till we'd gone to sleep. And then he'd do it, but then they, you know, like they put the shower on because they think mm. it takes the the smell away. Or yeah. I don't really know how that works, but that's what happens. So they have all their little tricks to try and uh, do it in the house. Yeah. But it meant that I just couldn't sleep. So of course I was just exhausted, and the more tired I was, the worse I was at coping. Mm. Um, I also went really paranoid because I just thought, well, because he was behaving so erratically i didn't know if there's any gangs um, mm. involvement there yeah. i didn't know if he was being groomed you know to sell drugs um, yeah. and also because he was very angry all the time he was listening to drill music um yeah. so he knew he just wasn't communicating with us so yeah. and he was on his phone like 24 hours a day so of course you're thinking who is communicating with him mm. um, and what's going on there yeah apart from all those like really pretty unpleasant things um i just felt incredibly isolated mm. because in our society we share success all the time oh he's done this and it's great and he's yeah. done that and it's great and you know everyone's sort of competing to say yeah. to say who's got the most uh, you know wonderful child and people don't say we just don't share in the same way when things are going like really horribly yeah. wrong but he got suspended from school mm. um he nearly got expelled from school um yeah. obviously he was going out meeting drug dealers mm. So increasing his risky behaviours. Increasing his risky behaviours, absolutely. And who do you share that with when you've never been on that journey before? Mm. Um, what do you? And, and in fact, now that I look back on it, you know, I, I would probably know quite a, a few people who did have difficulties that we could have shared. But yeah. it's getting to that point where you do share. Yeah. Um, so it is. It's very isolating. Mm. And and I found that very difficult. Yeah. Um, which is a, another of the reasons why coming to Better Lives was just such so liberating for me. Yeah. And so helpful. That Alcohol and Drug Podcast is made possible by Camden and Islington Foundation Trust in partnership with Humankind and WDP. Well, thanks for listening to part one of the marijuana episode. Today you've heard from Colin and you've heard the first half of our service user's story. In part two, you'll hear from Bethan, who will tell you about the impact marijuana can have on mental health and families. You'll also hear the second half of the story from Catherine. I hope you enjoyed it and we'll see you in part two.